You are listening to a Modern Nonprofit Podcast, a podcast for leaders of today's nonprofits. We focus on the most pressing issues in a modern nonprofit, from grant writing and fundraising to back office administration like accounting. If you are looking for tips and hacks to make your nonprofit more modern and intentional, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Tasha Anderson. I've worked with hundreds of nonprofits over many years in different capacities, first as an auditor, then a CFO of a nonprofit, and now I'm a CPA that owns the Charity CFO, an accounting firm working exclusively with nonprofit organizations. I'm passionate about trying to make the work of nonprofits even easier through the most modern practices I've learned from some of our most successful clients. Keep listening. Hello, fellow nonprofit friends. I'm excited to talk about this today. I get questions about what a treasurer does, what a treasurer shouldn't do. And I have lots and lots of experience working with treasurers, both frankly, good and bad treasurers. Today, we're going to talk about what a treasurer should do and what they shouldn't do. But I think we should be focusing first on what they should not be doing, because it feels like it's always one or the other. You either have really eager, over-involved, arguably, treasurer, or you have maybe a treasurer that's just not stepping up and and filling their role, right? So I want to talk about some of the common offenses that I see um, that a treasurer is not doing, namely serving in a management capacity, right? So this includes supervising the accounting staff, making hiring decisions. Look, the day-to-day management of any function, including the accounting and finance function, is the executive director or CEO's job. A treasurer should not be overstepping and going directly to the staff internally to discuss any performance issues and concerns of that nature. The ED and the CEO should absolutely be involved in those conversations or should be driving those conversations. So taking the feedback from the treasurer, but addressing that. And so often I see the um, management of the accounting and finance function delegated to the finance committee or the treasurer. And the idea is simply, as a CEO or an ED, I don't possess the expertise to effectively maybe manage this or know if it's, it's right or it's wrong or good or bad. So I'm going to defer to my to my treasurer. I think it just puts the staff in a really uncomfortable situation. Frankly, I've seen where it puts the CEO and the executive director in a really uncomfortable situation. And it's just challenging because if you have a collective group of people that are you know, serving as a supervisory function of the uh, internal accounting team, um, it's really hard to discuss performance issues, outline expectations, and to keep one direct supervisor happy because it's a collective group between the ED CEO and the finance committee and the treasurer. So do not put your treasurer in that situation. Um, And if you are a treasurer and you find yourself in that situation, you should not be functioning. Um, Your role is oversight and not day-to-day management. That's the ED or the CEO's job. The next common offense that I see for the treasurer is of micromanaging the budget. I've had some awkward conversations with treasurers in the past where treasurers think that they need to approve every expense that goes out the door. They need to write every check. They need to review every invoice. They need to understand every process. They need to have access to your accounting system, and they need to review every transaction. That, again, in my opinion, is the day-to-day management of the accounting function, and the treasurer should not be involved in the day-to-day activities. Now, are there checks and balances in place, especially for small organizations? Absolutely. More oftentimes, I see a threshold for expenses that need a dual signature. So maybe a CEO and the treasurer would sign off on a check greater than five, ten, fifteen thousand, something to that effect. Uh, should a treasurer have some sense of what the month-end close process looks like and the key internal controls? Absolutely. Should they be part of the internal controls? Uh, 
from an oversight perspective only. The most significant uh, key control that an auditor might rely upon is the treasurer actually reviewing the financial statements in detail and asking follow-up questions and then presenting it to the board as a whole. Uh, as, as a former auditor myself, I don't look at a treasurer reviewing or doing all of the activity um, as a really key control. In fact, I think it creates some segregation of duties issues. I think it creates um, some problems that someone else is not really reviewing the work independent of the treasurer, which leads me to my next point. A treasurer should not ever be doing, in my opinion, the accounting or the bookkeeping, right? The treasurer's job is oversight. It's really difficult, I would argue impossible, to oversee your own work. And frankly, for many small organizations, the treasurer or the bookkeeper is also the only financial person perhaps on the board. So when you have somebody doing all of the accounting work, reconciling all of the accounting work, and everyone tends to trust the treasurer and there's really not any oversight on the treasurer's work, there's no checks and balances there. That is where we get into some really difficult situations, just a general lack of segregation of duties, a lack of internal controls, um, a lack of, frankly, a succession transition plan. I've seen this happen so many times where a new treasurer steps in and they just can't fill that capacity because it's really a part-time job. It's not a, a volunteer capacity. There's a lot of problems that come with your treasurer serving as your accountant. And I understand in a practical sense for small organizations, that might be your best and only option, but you should certainly be making plans to find ways to create some, some, some segregation there. Maybe the um, treasurer has a stepped approach where they stop doing the day-to-day -day activity in the bookkeeping and you have an office manager or something like that, getting the information into the accounting system and then the treasurer is just simply reviewing it. And then eventually you build up into having a bookkeeper or accountant on staff or outsourcing your accounting function for which that party will then create all of the accounting reconciliations and the financial reports. And the treasurer is there just to poke holes in it and make sure that everything is up to par. So those are the top three things that I think immediately a treasurer should not be doing, serving in any sort of management capacity and micromanaging any sort of day-to-day -day, um, staff, micromanaging the budget and asking all of the questions about every expenditure, even if they are in line with the budget, even if it's already been approved by the board. I've seen treasurers do that all the time. And then last but not least, doing the accounting and the bookkeeping. I know that's a temptation for many organizations, but that's just simply not best practices in my opinion. So next, let's talk a little bit more about what a treasurer should be doing. If you find yourself in a situation like to touch all those things you mentioned, I actually do, and that's most of my job. If I'm not doing that, what should I be doing? Um, or maybe you have, um, you're an ED or CEO of a nonprofit and you're struggling with your treasurer not doing anything at all. So here, in my experience, formally as a treasurer of organizations, I work with many organizations that currently serve on boards. Um, and I work with hundreds of nonprofits every month. So we have a lot of interaction with treasurers. And the most effective treasurers that I've seen have some of these common responsibilities. Number one, assisting in policy creation. So this is especially important for growing and evolving organizations, namely things around operating reserves, capitalization policies, um, possibly investment policies. Maybe it's document retention for accounting record policies. Maybe it's dual signatures and internal control policies things of that nature that they should be taking into consideration. Uh, and a good a good uh, indicator for policies that you should have uh, would be going to your 990. There's a whole checklist of things that you should and should be having according to the IRS. You can go to the Better Business Bureau. Um, locally, we have a great United Way and they have a quality of standards. So uh, there should be 
a lot of resources that you can go to to identify what policies your organization maybe should have and then pinpoint which ones you don't have and then your treasurer and the rest of your finance committee if you have a full finance committee can really drive those conversations so that is one way that i see treasurers very effective um, reviewing finances and presenting to the board i can't tell you how many nonprofit organizations i work with where the treasurer is not able to present the financial statements to the board. That is problematic to me uh, because I feel like that's basically their number one job is to understand the financial situation of the organization in such a way that they can oversee it. They can make sure that it's accurate, that it's timely, that the reporting is effective for the decision-making and then relay that information to the board as a whole. That should be done on such a consistent basis at a minimum at every board meeting, but the treasurer should be looking at monthly financial reports. If you're not getting monthly financial reports, that's a whole separate problem that would argue that your board does not have the capacity, the tools, the resources to effectively live into their fiduciary responsibility. Um, but certainly your treasurer is gonna be in a bind um, if they cannot present the, the, the finances to the board. So they should absolutely be able to articulate your financial operations to the board. And if not, I strongly encourage you, if you are a treasurer listening, spend a lot of time, understand what is the types of revenues coming in? What are the main expenses? What are the significant funding sources? What do we have to do to actually generate those revenues? What does our balance sheet look like? How much cash do we have on hand? Are we at risk for running out of cash? Are there periods where our cash is running really low? Uh, and if so, try to come up with a general understanding of the seasonal and cyclical changes of our finances. Understand our budget. Are we flush with cash? Are we, are we not so flush with cash? Do we have large debt uh, obligations that are gonna be maturing soon? Just really understand the flow of cash for me is always important. And then also understand just how healthy is the organization? What is driving the activities of the organization specifically within the finances, right? Is it really grant-based, individual donor-based? Is it uh, contract-based and it's a fee-for-service? And if we don't deliver the services, we're not going to get paid. And how does all of that work together? And this is really something that maybe a few hours of time with staff will really help you be able to understand the key programs, the key funders, and really what's driving um, the financial activity. So if you ask an auditor, if you ask an, the IRS, they would also say that the treasurer and the finance committee is absolutely required and should be participating in the year-end audit process. They should be interacting with the auditors. They should be reviewing the audit report. They should probably be um, interviewed by the auditors to make sure that there's no concerns at the treasurer level. And they should be having open conversations about any disagreements with management, right? So that should be happening with your auditor. Uh, if you are um, a treasurer and you have never interacted with your auditor, you should. You should be involved in that conversation. Um, and then the 990, uh, the filing of the 990, the IRS uh, says that every board member should be presented with a copy of the 990 before it's filed. Um, you would want to be able to review that, especially as a treasurer, you want to understand the key elements of the 990 and really at a minimum check it for accuracy. Um, make sure that you understand where the numbers come from. Read the narrative part. Sometimes as accountants, we focus on um, the numbers 
right? But read the narrative parts, right? Understand what are we saying our vision is or our mission rather? What are we saying that our programs are doing and what are those program accomplishments? What is all the supplemental information that we maybe uh, spell out in more detail um, in schedule O in the very back of the, of the 990? So read all of it. Uh, it's lengthy. I know. I apologize in advance, but it's a really important document and that's certainly an expectation the IRS has that you would be reviewing that and approving that at the treasurer level. Okay, uh, let's see. Certainly, as I mentioned too, if there's any disagreements with management, uh, if there's any issues or any concerns, any challenges that the auditors have had, do you as a board know about it? You would assume your management would relay that information to you perhaps, but I have to beg the question, what if your management is the problem? How do you get that information from outside third-party sources that you as the board, you hired them to do a full audit and to bring findings, observations, and recommendations to you. And if you have no interaction with them, how are you getting the full picture and not a filtered version of that? I've seen that happen. Okay, last but not least, providing financial uh, strategy. So participating in the strategic planning of the organization, including um, finances, accounting, internal controls, anything of that nature, right? The treasurer should be uh, involved and be considering short and long-term plans, right? So short and long-term financial implications of expansion plans, programmatic growth, programmatic shrinkage, perhaps. Maybe we need to eliminate a program. Uh, your treasurer should be involved in those conversations and the finance committee as a whole. They should be looking at investments. So a lot of times I see treasurers um, interacting with um with boards in a way that maybe they have a large operating reserve and they need to know what to do with it. So perhaps their treasurer comes more from the finance background or the investment back and banking background rather than the accounting background. So they would typically uh, lend their expertise in that way in investment management. Um, maybe there's capital campaigns or any other long-term or short-term initiative that the organization is undertaking. Your treasurer should absolutely be participating in that. And I just had an idea, what if you as an organization, you don't have a treasurer? Well, check your bylaws of your organization um, and check your state requirements. In many states, you are required to have a treasurer. So if you don't find yourself having a treasurer at this time, you should strongly consider having a treasurer, especially if it's mandated by your state. So that in a nutshell, friends, is my best uh, tips for what an effective treasurer should be doing and what they certainly should not be doing. Until next time, see you friends. Thank you for listening to a modern nonprofit podcast powered by the Charity CFO. If your nonprofit is needing help with accounting or bookkeeping, head on over to thecharitycfo.com to find information on the work we are doing with other nonprofits. If you found this information helpful, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast streaming platform so other nonprofit leaders can find us. We appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next episode.